1: I set out to learn the Thai language from within the first couple of months of arriving in Thailand. And a dear friend in the first Thai church that I joined up with, he recommended to me now, Russ, he said, if you are serious about learning the Thai language, you really need to concentrate on learning to read and write as well. And that was really quite a challenge.
0: The Story. The story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, it's always good to hear a chat between good friends. And that's what we're going to be doing today as Shelley Scowen talks with her longtime friend, Russ Kennelly, about his life journey. Russ was a successful pilot when God led him on a different career path. He has been taking people to various places in his planes, but now he'll be leading people on a different kind of journey, a journey of faith as a missionary in Thailand. Once again, today's guest is Russ Canelli sharing his story with Shelley Scowen.
2: Russ, you've only been back on Australian soil this year, and semi-retired, although still doing a lot of work for the Lord. Must be kind of strange to have a little bit of time to yourself.
1: Yes, it's uh, it's not only strange, but it's also rather relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> After many many years of uh, travelling uh, to Thailand and back from Thailand, um, my wife has lost count of how many times she travelled to and from Thailand, going back the days when I was working for Thai International in Thailand.
2: Yes. Yes, you were back and forth a lot, particularly in those early years. Uh, As you say, you were a pilot. Um, Let's delve back into history, though. (laughs) Um, Tell us first how you came to the Lord as a child.
1: Well, when I was um, a child in Cairns, uh, in North Queensland, um, my family were not a Christian family, but uh some dear uh, men from a local church uh came along and uh, to our door and knocked on the door and asked if there were any children that uh, our parents would like to send to Sunday school now I was only about 10 years old at that time but uh so we went along to that local Sunday school and on a church uh, a Sunday school camp uh in 2001 no not 2001 I'm sorry uh, Nineteen fifty-one. Oh, I've got to get my <laughs> about fifty years, right. give or take. Yeah, um, I uh, went along to that camp and accepted the Lord on that camp.
2: Wow! Yeah, so there's a lot to be said for kids ministry, hey? There is. Yeah, so
1: and there were many children came to know the Lord at that camp, and, uh, and during those years too, and, and many from non-Christian homes, just like I was. In, yeah. Uh, They're still very good friends of mine today. And all it took
2: was some people to come to the door and ask if you wanted to go to Sunday school.
1: That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mum and dad um, were not church-going people, but they were very happy for uh, us three boys, actually, myself and my two younger brothers, to all go to this local Sunday school.
2: Mm. Did they end up coming to Christ in later life? Yes, they did. Wow. That's wonderful assurance for you, isn't
1: it? Yes, it is. I, I Prayed for them for six years before they came to know the Lord, which uh, I was so excited when they did.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was about five years later that you joined the Royal Australian Air Force. So you were a teenager there, but uh, right there in Wagga.
1: Yes, it was just less than four years later, actually. Okay. I was only 15 years old at the time, and you can't do that today. Join the Permanent Air Force at 15 years old. (laughs) (laughs) But this was just after the war, and they were looking for young men and women too, for that matter, to joined the services.
2: Right. So in you, in you jumped and you never looked back, you loved flying, didn't you? I did. Yeah. What is it about being in the plane that just attracts you to it?
1: Well, um, it wasn't just uh, flying itself, but uh, the whole uh, industry of aviation was, was a, a great interest of mine. And I guess it started when I was, uh, during the war years, uh, I was uh, a, a very small boy in Gordonville before we moved to Cairns, we used to see the uh, air force aircraft during World War uh, flying overhead and dropping parachutists and doing other training uh, exercises uh, overhead. Uh, that that uh, just developed a passion in me for, for aircraft and flying and the whole industry.
2: <laughs> you were one of those typical little boys that said, right. "When I grow up, I'm going to be a pilot." And there you are you you got to be
1: a pilot. Yeah, Shelley. I actually didn't intend just to become a pilot. My intention from a fairly young age was to become an aeronautical engineer okay. and, uh, and I did that before I actually learnt to fly. I went to the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology and graduated as a, Royal, uh, as a an aeronautical engineer. Uh, all part of my Air Force training, mind you. The Air right. Force paid for it all.
2: Oh, that's always convenient. It is. And it was in that time in Melbourne, you happened to be there in 1959 and so you were involved in the Billy Graham crusade. That must have been amazing.
1: That was exciting. That was the nearest thing I've seen to revival in the whole of our nation of Australia. Every uh, newspaper in Melbourne in those uh, days during the crusade was filled with news about the Billy Graham crusade mm. and uh, it was uh, so exciting and I was just uh, so thrilled to be able to be involved.
2: What was your role at the Billy Graham crusade?
1: I trained as a counsellor, and also um, I joined the choir and so I was singing in the choir as well.
2: Wow, that within must... the
1: framework of what time I could get off from my studies in the with the air force.
2: Yeah, must be a time that uh, you definitely look back on with um, a lot of thankfulness.
1: I do. got yeah. I've got newspaper cuttings and uh, and uh, even an old reel to reel tape recorder recording of the final message on the final day in in Melbourne, yeah. <laughs> and wow. I cherish those those memorabilia of that of that time. That yeah. was just amazing.
2: Another thing you were involved in in Melbourne was the weekly open-air meetings at Norman's Corner. That was quite an experience for you, wasn't it?
1: They were thrilling days. And they were in the days following the Billy Graham Crusade too when uh, the whole of Australia seemed to have a spiritual awakening that lasted for years after that crusade. And um, we went into uh, uh, Norman's Corner each Sunday night after our church services uh, that's uh, a, a whole lot of young people, men and women, uh, all very young. And uh, we stood in the back of a, a utility that was rigged up with a PA system, and we used to preach open air on Norman's Corner every Sunday night. And uh, that was where I first started preaching myself pretty well regularly. The first time it happened, they asked me, uh, they said, Russ, uh, it's your turn next. I said, what? You know, but, uh, so I cut my eye teeth learning to preach on Norman's Corner <laughs> in the open airs of Melbourne in those days. When uh, open air uh, gospel presentations were very common in those days because, again, probably the aftermath of the Billy Graham crusade.
2: Uh, You were in the Royal Australian Air Force and you were pretty young at the time. We were talking about uh, how you first got in in Wagga and you didn't have any other Christian fellowship there. You didn't have a whole lot of leave time to visit the city. So you started reading your Bible on a daily basis. What was the importance of that grounding in the scripture for you?
1: Well, it was very important because I had no Christian family background and I knew little about what the Bible teaches and so on. And uh, before I joined the Air Force as a boy younger than 15, uh, my only experience with uh, Christianity after coming to know the Lord was uh, weekly Sunday school lessons and memory verses. But when I joined the Air Force, there was no more of that, and I had no other fellowship, no church to go to, so I felt it was very important to start reading my Bible. And so I did, and I made a, a, a determination to read a minimum of one chapter a day.
2: And that's a habit you've always kept up, isn't it? You have an amazing knowledge of the Bible.
1: Yes, I try and read five chapters a day now every day.
2: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, I've known you for quite some time and just your knowledge of the Bible has just always amazed me. Like, you you just seem to know the Bible, you know, cover to cover. And Scripture memory, too, is also a big thing for you, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. I I used to memorize verses, um, uh, particularly when I went on to Melbourne, uh, I made it a, a routine that I would just memorise verses, many verses, which were useful then when preaching and teaching and so on.
2: Which then became another added challenge when you moved to Thailand. I know we're jumping ahead of ourselves here, but you had to relearn all of that in the Thai language.
1: I did, Shelley. I had to learn all those verses in the Thai language. <laughs> and uh, that certainly was a challenge, and I had to put a lot of work into um, yeah. both reading the Thai Bible and um, memorising verses in the Thai language and of course that took years it wasn't just um, months it took many many years.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah an amazing feat and obviously one that was well used and we'll get to that soon. Uh, So you then ended up travelling around the country as you do when you're in the military Um, but tell us how you met your wife Ruth.
1: Yes well that was after I'd left the Air Force and uh, uh, I, I served out my time with the Air Force six years uh, after graduating as an aeronautical engineer. I then served for six years, firstly in Woomera and uh, then in Canberra. And then during my Canberra days, uh, my time came up, so I opted to uh, resign from the Air Force. And, uh, and after another uh, couple of years in Canberra, went north to Cairns. Now, from Cairns... Uh, I was uh, attached briefly to Mount Isa with the firm I was flying with. I was flying with uh, a small airline which started off being known as Bush Pilots Airways but then became Air Queensland years later. And uh, during my time in Mount Isa, uh, I helped in a GLO crusade and my wife uh, came up from Brisbane to help in that same crusade and that's where we met.
2: Right, so both obviously having a very similar heart for outreach and heart for the gospel.
1: Yes, I guess so.
2: You obviously make a good couple then.
1: Oh, yes. We've had the most amazingly, wonderfully happy marriage for 44 and a half years. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely amazing. Yes, we've we've both sort of been of one mind in the things of the Lord and so on. So, um, you know, if we wanted to go to Thailand as missionaries, I mean, that was much later than the Mount Isa time we're up to so far. But uh, uh, we both felt very much before the Lord that that was his will.
2: Yeah, absolutely And so you had uh, two little girls Who then grew up And now nine grandchildren as well
1: Yes, we do And we are so proud of our two girls Our two sons-in-law And our nine grandchildren We are just thrilled with our family
2: Yeah, God blesses us in so many different ways Hey, that's he sure a, does, a big we? one Yeah
0: You're listening to The Story Today, Russ Canelli is sharing his life journey with Shelley Scowan. Next, we'll hear how God called Russ to missions in Thailand. And we'll find out about a spiritual revival that took place there among young adults. That and more when we return. The Story If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen having a chat with retired pilot Russ Canelli about his life journey. Next, we'll find out how Russ's life changed as he left Australia and had to learn another language.
2: It was in 1989 that things um, changed a bit for you.
1: Yes, that's right. Um, 1989, there was a, an industrial dispute. Not, not a strike as such, but um, uh, the Airline Pilot Federation... Uh, felt that they would be uh, clever and uh, that they would uh, insist that all the pilots resign from the airlines. And so every pilot had to uh, sit down and and resign from the airlines. They felt that they had uh, a stronger hand to do that. This was not a a clever thing to do, really, of course, and uh, uh, history now has shown that both the airlines suffered and the pilots suffered because all the pilots went overseas to find flying jobs, and uh, the airlines took about two or three years to recover from that.
2: Right. So you obviously went overseas, and was that when you started working with Thai
1: Airways? Well, my first job overseas, uh, Shelley, was in Europe, actually, with a small airline called Kimber Air, a Danish airline on contract to Lufthansa. So I was flying there for six months and uh, then came back to Australia, and it was the next year. Uh, that was in ninety one, ninety two. 92. Uh, I was uh, called for an interview in Melbourne to, to join Thai Airways International. And uh, that's when I, I went to Thailand after that interview uh, at, at the end of that year.
2: Right. And then you arrived in Thailand and you knew um, at some point when you were there that God had bigger plans for you in Thailand, uh, that, that you weren't just going to be going there for work. You really started to feel God's calling to do mission work there?
1: That's right. Now, uh, when I came back from the interview in Melbourne, Uh, there were many pilots uh, going for that interview and looking for those those jobs in Thailand. And there were only four jobs to be had. And uh, I came back and I said to my wife, look, after that interview, I feel that uh, the only way that I'll get this job is if it's God's will. And uh, then uh, two days later, or I think it was, uh, I got the phone call to say, could I leave for Thailand on Friday? This was Wednesday or something. Uh, And uh, both my wife and I said to each other, we feel... that that this was God's planning, this was God's will. We we both felt very much before the Lord that um, my going to Thailand to fly for Thai International was in preparation for us to uh, go back to Thailand after I finished flying for Thai, because my retirement age was coming up in uh, in just a few years. And uh, so therefore we went with the whole uh, object of learning the Thai language, of my learning the Thai language while I was there flying, and uh, preparing for, for that time.
2: How did you know, Russ, when God was, you know, really calling you to stop flying planes and start doing this real uh, focused mission work? There.
1: Well, uh, as I say, when I got the job in with Titan International in 1992, I knew that we'd only have about another six or so years, uh, or seven, maybe at the outside, before I would have to retire. And um, we both felt very clearly before the Lord that uh, He was preparing us to to. Uh, go back to Thailand when I finished uh, flying with Thai International Uh, at that stage our girls were still in high school and university and uh, so it was looking a fair way ahead as it would seem to us at that time but we just felt very much before the Lord that that was his plan
2: So what was it that he was actually leading you into?
1: Well at that stage we didn't know I've got to say Shelley Um, I went to fly for Thai International Uh, I didn't really uh, have much of an idea of what would be involved with going back to Thailand as missionaries, but because of the uh, my um, background, if you like, in, in churches of preaching and teaching over many, many years, uh, I felt that that's the area that I had to work towards, and so I set out to learn the Thai language from within the first uh, couple of months of arriving in Thailand.
2: Right, knowing that God would call you into bigger things. So you started working there in that local church.
1: Yes, we just uh, joined up with a local Thai church and um, and a dear friend in the first uh, Thai church that I uh, joined up with who was uh, an English chap himself, actually he was Australian I should say, uh, he recommended to me, now Russ, he said, if you are serious about learning the Thai language you really need to concentrate on learning to read and write as well. Now that was a challenge because the Thai language doesn't uh, use the Uh, roman alphabet that we use but they have uh, 44 uh, letters in the thai language and and actually it's 44 consonants that's without the vowels and that was really quite a challenge
2: wow yes Uh, and particularly it was later in life that you were trying to learn all of these things when it's been well proven that you it's a lot easier to learn language when you're younger
1: That's right. I was in my 50s. Wow. (laughs) It was a challenge, Shelley, I can tell you.
2: I'm sure, but you got very proficient at it and you were regularly preaching sermons in the Thai language.
1: Yes. Now, I didn't start preaching. Uh, I I started teaching, certainly, and and sharing and uh, taking small groups and so on. But I didn't actually start preaching in the Thai language until we went back as missionaries. Um, We went back there in 1999 I know we're jumping ahead a little bit on the timeline, as you say, but uh, it was then two years later, uh, two years after we went back to start work full-time as missionaries, that I actually started preaching from the pulpit and taking the main message of a Sunday morning.
2: Right. And so that must have been a bit nerve-wracking for you when you first started?
1: It certainly was. But I said to my Thai friends, who wanted me to start uh, preaching much sooner than that, that I wanted to be spontaneous when I preached, as I always felt that was the best way to, to uh, uh, preach and teach. And uh, so I needed to be spontaneous, but I was very nervous, I can tell you. And so much so that my wife said to me after I preached the first time, Russ, do you really think God's calling you to this?
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she meant it in the best possible way.
1: Oh, she did. Hell and, of yeah. course, uh, that was just the beginning, and uh, I was, I've been preaching ever since, of course, yeah. uh, for, for many, many years, yeah.
2: So God called you to that work there in the church um, and you saw some great increase because it was primarily kind of young adults there when you first started, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it was because uh, Thailand, um, being predominantly a Buddhist country, uh, many Thais will tell you that to be Thai is to be Buddhist, um, even though they learn from a young age that Thailand is a country where all religions are counted as, as, as seen as, as good, that's their word. Um, but, um, but because of that, the gospel's been preached in Thailand for over 200 years uh, and, um, and yet had made very little impact until relatively recently. And it was in the 90s, uh, 1990s I should say, the 1990s when we were there, that actually the gospel started to move ahead very, very quickly. And many, many Thai young people, both young men and women, mostly university age, uh, became uh, really keen. And they gave their hearts to the Lord and, and were very, very keen to live for God. And it was wonderful to see this, this uh, what well, was the beginnings, basically, of a, a, a revival, if you like. But it was from an early, uh, from a very small base because there were so few Christians in Thailand at that time.
2: Wow. So that must have been a really exciting time for you then, seeing just this Christian movement growing and growing.
1: Very exciting. It was God at work, and we just felt so privileged to be part of seeing God at work in a most amazing way.
2: Yeah. One of the challenges that you faced was that you were trying to get out of Thailand at one point. Uh, Even back as far as, I think, 2009, you were trying to sell your condo and come back to Australia, but it took quite some time to sell.
1: Yes, it did. And uh, we felt very clearly that uh, our time was uh, uh, coming to a close in Thailand after 10 years there. And as you say, in 2009, we tried to sell our condominium, and in fact, within 24 hours of putting our condominium on the market, um, we had a contract on it. But subsequently, that, that contract fell through because of the currency crisis that occurred in uh, not just Thailand, but all of the Asian countries uh, about a decade earlier. Um, it was very difficult for young people uh, to get finance to, to purchase property. But God had his purpose in that, as in all things. Uh, we packed up all our furniture and effects in 2009, so brought, sent them back to Australia, only to find that uh, we couldn't sell the condominium for another five years, so mm. we had to keep going back to Thailand twice a year for uh, a number of months. And uh, of course, we uh, continued to serve the Lord there for, for those five years um, uh, on a part-time basis, if you like. After being there ten years full-time,
2: God just wouldn't let you leave, hey?
1: That's right. <laughs> but we're happy that it. it was the Lord's will. That's uh, that's we wanted. We wanted to know His will. Actually... Just just backtracking a little, Shelley, yeah. if I may just uh, make the comment. When we moved to this other church, which um, was the CBA, they call it over there, the Christian Brethren Association of Churches, um, we still preached in many other churches. The Baptist Church, we preached in the Mahapon Church still. We went back uh, to our original church and preached there. I preached there. And I also spoke at the um, a- at a fellowship, which was very exciting, the uh, thai military and police christian fellowship now that was exciting because there were generals uh whom i met in the army in thailand and if anyone knows the history of thailand the army is very powerful in thailand uh but there were generals and major generals who were who were believers so they were christians and uh, they had a wonderful fellowship uh, both the military and the police um and it was just exciting to, to preach at those um, uh, gatherings of that Christian uh, Police and Military Fellowship as well.
2: Yeah, wow, what an opportunity to be able to talk to these very influential people and um, see their hearts changing.
1: And of course, they felt a, 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 a common uh, background and a common, uh, a common heritage because of the fact that I was also in the Air Force for 12 years.
2: Yes, like. It's another one of God's purposes Coming to light for you Hey, not only was it training for you know Later being an airline pilot And getting into Thailand and all the rest But it's amazing how God just works like that Hey, the, the experiences from early in life Go on to shape us and prepare us For experiences later in life
1: That's how a wonderful God works, Shelley
2: Yeah Yep, makes you wonder what he's got in store For us in the future, hey That's right there's so much to your story, and I mean, oh, I just love conversations with people like yourself because you really could just chat all day about how God has just led and provided for you. I mean, there's so much that you could tell us about Thailand and you know the way that God just moved through uh, through you guys and and what you were doing there. But um, thank you so much for giving us a bit of a glimpse into what God's done through your life uh, in Australia and in Thailand.
1: That's been a privilege, Shelley. And just as it was a privilege to serve the Lord in Thailand and to seek God at work, we give Him all the glory.
2: Mm, Absolutely.
0: That was Shelley Scowen chatting with Aussie Pilot and missionary Russ Kennelly. What an amazing story of how Russ gave his heart to the Lord as a child and got the call to become a missionary later in life, leading many to the Lord in Thailand. The Bible verse that comes to mind when reflecting on Russ's story is from Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that verse certainly rang true in Russ's life. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on the story,
1: I used to do all sorts of uh, Hindu rituals. I worshiping the idols, keeping fruits and uh, the coconut, breaking the coconut in front of the idol. And later on, uh, when the sun starts coming, then I used to go out and uh, do the suri namaskar. It is called worshiping the sun. You know, those days, you know, since I didn't knew the creator, I was worshiping the creation.
0: Sam is an Indian pastor reaching out to Indian youth in remote villages. But before he put his faith in the Lord, he was deeply involved in the Hindu culture and religion. We'll hear his fascinating story of coming to faith despite persecution next time. The Story, Story. just another way vision is connecting faith to life.